Welcome to On the Edge with Eddie, Detangling Black Identities. I am your host, Eddie Etty. And hey, thank you again for joining our journey to explore all the different shades of Blackness, Black identities, have real conversations and discussions. Like I always say, our discussions, stories, conversations are not meant to degrade, discourage, or prove a point. Exploring Black identities is all about learning, empowering, and giving people a voice to tell their stories, and at times be a voice for the people who don't feel comfortable speaking out. Man, today though, I mean, I say this every time, but today I have a gentleman, I mean, a man of faith who can sing. I mean, this man can't sing. I'm not even playing with you. He has a voice. I am with Alex Lodge. A little bit about Alex. Alex is a native of Louisiana, graduate from graduate of Gran, uh, Grambling State University. Excuse me, I can't talk. And uh, he then moved to Iowa to do a PhD um, in chemistry. Now I'm, a, I'm probably not going to say what he studied right, but he his doctoral research involved in acetylcholine esterase. <laughs> I think that sounds about right. Uh, basically, it's looking at an enzyme that affects neuromuscular uh, function, including uh, fighting Alzheimer's disease and um, countering nerve agents. But check this out. My man, Alex, did not stop there after he got his PhD. Now, most of you will be like, you know what? I got a PhD, um, super smart guy. I'm good. No, he went to law school on top of that. And I mean, that's probably when he met my uh, uh, my my wife, Dromi. But um, hey, listen, I am excited to have Alex with me right now. He is the 2020 Pro Bono Attorney of the Year presented by the State Bar of Wisconsin Legal Assistance Committee. And, you know, being Pro Bono Attorney of the Year, I mean, that takes a lot of dedication. Um, again, great youth mentor. Alex Lodge, I mean, I can keep going on, but I'm going to stop because we want to get to know you. How are you doing, my brother? <laughs> oh, man, I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here, and I appreciate the really warm uh, introduction there. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, man, so I'm doing great. Good, good, good. Hey, I'm glad you're joining on the edge with Eddie. We have a lot of stuff to talk about, and I am so excited you are here. And listen, let's just let's just get to it. So you grew up down south in Louisiana. Yeah. Is, is that where you were born and raised? I so I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. And I spent uh, some of my time growing up, especially early education. So preschool, kindergarten, um, early elementary in, in, in the state of Illinois, actually, in the far north suburbs of Chicago. Okay. Um, before uh, I moved down to Louisiana uh, with the rest of my, with my siblings and my mom. And so we, I, I grew, fit, spent the majority of my formative years yeah, growing up in the state of Louisiana. So I, and that's what I call home. Right. So you call Louisiana home. What was it like 
growing up in Louisiana. Um, I was talking to one of my good friends, Karana, recently, and she grew up in Virginia in the country, right? And in the country of Virginia, she was like, you know, there's a lot of things that she didn't even know about the Southern culture, you know, but what she knew was people were very authentic. If they don't like you, they'll tell you they don't like you, right? What was it like in Louisiana? Well, it's a, it's a lot like the same. I'm from a very small town. Uh, it's called Cachata, Louisiana. It's in the the northwest portion of the state. So if you think of the boot, we're up there by the kind of top back kind of calf part of the boot right outside of Shreveport, Louisiana. Okay. Um, and it was wonderful, to be honest. It's a, it's a rural community, um, very genuine people. Uh, I would say, you know, it's a place where you really felt like part of, a, truly part of a community. Uh, Cachata is a place that is a predominantly black community as well. And so one of the great things about growing up in a place like that is the amount of, you know, genuineness that you get from everyone. And, and just like um, you mentioned uh, your friend who grew up in Virginia, that people will be very honest and genuine. But what I really truly will not forget is just how dedicated everyone in our community are to each other and yeah. to making sure everyone is feeling welcome. You feel at home, everyone feels responsible for each other. So, you know, my experience growing up there is one where, you know, we had a very loving and open and honest community that, that uh, embraced everybody for who they are and supported each other kind of unwaveringly. Yeah. And so, you know, being in such a nurturing environment like that, um, you have those, you create those really deep connections with the people that you grow up with. And I, and of course, being a smaller community, we had kind of have those very deep family connections as well. So I grew up on a street where I, I grew up with my grandparents and my, my grandmother's siblings, you know, they, they were our next door neighbors. And so we really grew up as a close knit family. And um, I, I got a chance to really be deeply connected with a lot of my family members there too. And so, so understanding that history and understanding our traditions as family is really, you know, something that I, I would never kind of trade in right. for anything else, having right. that kind of, uh, uh, of upbringing and being in those environments. Um, and, and it allows you to really grow and, and really develop who you, who you are as a person. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely, you're absolutely right. I mean, because again, that's that's sort of how I grew up, right? Growing up in the uh, in the country of Ghana, it's all about community, right? Um, and one of the things that I really appreciate with uh, the black community is there's that you know close knit, right? I mean, it, it, it's truly a community, um, and you know. I remember, you know, when I'm walking down the street, I do something wrong. My neighbor or, you know, somebody else in the community be like, boy, yes. you better don't do that. Right. And Absolutely. you have no right to go tell your parents that somebody else tried to discipline you because you'll be disciplined on top of that. Right. <laughs> so, Absolutely. You, you know, you're right. You know, having that community, um, it, it's a big part of, you know, who, you know, we become as individuals when we grow up. 
But talking about the community, um, tell me a little bit about um, Grambling State University. Again, that is a historically black university. I actually did it a girl that went there. So um, really? yeah, so um, <laughs> she told me all about sort of like the atmosphere and you know the people. But what was your experience like going to sort of uh, an all black university? Um, and then we'll talk about when you get to Iowa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so as I mentioned, I, the town I'm from is a really nurturing environment and really embraced me as a you know young young man who had an interest in math and science and in the arts as well. And so, Grambling State University for me was just an extension of that warm, inviting, and welcoming place that was, you know, a place where I really grew up as an adult. And it really did a lot of the sharpening that I needed to kind of refine some of the raw skill and talent that I have and interests that I had. And it gave me exposure as well, like being that Grambling is in such a small town in the, in the state of Louisiana, it's North Central Louisiana, you know, it's an intersection of so many people from so many different places from all over the world. Um, you know, one of our, our slogans at Gremlin State University is it's the place where everybody is somebody. And it truly feels that way. You are, you know, everyone feels responsible for each other. Um, you get the support and, uh, you know, again, that nurturing from your faculty, from your staff, from your community, your fellow students. Um, part of that environment is really being deeply steeped in what it, what Black culture is from a Black American standpoint, but also, again, that exposure to other cultures. My, my neighbors were from Eritrea, I had never heard of Eritrea before, but then I'm learning about East African culture and food. Yeah. Um, you know, friends from Cameroon and classmates from uh, Ghana and Nigeria and, um, you know, people from all, all over the world and all across the country. And so learning about Black excellence on a global level was one of the things that I, I, I loved the most about being a student at Gramlin State University. Yeah. And they really made sure that you tapped into each and every one of those talents that you had. Um, so as a student at Grambling, I was part of the Student Government Association, yep. uh, working on the Elections Commission. And so that gave me some exposure to community and government and politics and how that worked um, and organizational structure, uh, you know, governance, all of those things I, I learned really early. Right. Um, I worked with, you know, my professors as a research student in the chemistry lab. And that's really where I, I learned my love of chemistry. Yeah. and research and development and and really got exposure to that and it was powerful for me to see classmates who were you know a few years ahead of me you know the sophomores juniors and seniors who looked like me even though they may have come from different places around the country right. or from similar towns around the state as I was but were really engaging in these really amazing things going all around the country doing high level research, people researching at NASA, uh, government labs across the country, large corporations and their R&D labs going to graduate and academic programs doing research and development. And I had 
a blueprint. There was a space for someone like me. And that's what was most important. Yeah. And those same students were engaged in other things like music. They were in our world fame marching band. They were part of the music and, and, and arts programs. Those things were really important things for me to see that I had a place in a home and that you could really um, engage in so many different things that were important. And so Gremlin holds a really near, it's, it's very near and dear to me. And it has a special place in my heart that it was a place where I did that other stage of growing up in your life that you yeah. have to go. <laughs> And I mean, and I'm sure, you, you know, you build a lot of network and, you know, friends and all of that over there. Again, a part of the college experience, you know, to me is, you know, you, you spend four years with, you know, sort of the same people and, you know, those people become your lifelong friends. And, you know, from what you're saying, you know, those people didn't only become your friends, but they were part of um, your empowerment and, you know, helping you become the individual you are today. But so you moved to Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> right and uh you get into a you just do a phd in chemistry um you know studying acetyl acetyl chlorine esterase i am yes butcher that <laughs> it's time. all right um so tell me what was there any sort of culture shock for you moving from Louisiana or uh, Grambling State to coming to Iowa um, and doing chemistry here. Tell me a little bit about the cultural shock in your transition to the Iowa space. Um, <laughs> yeah, Iowa was a big culture shock. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in a community that was predominantly Black. Um, we celebrated what it meant to be proud to be Black. I went to a historically black college where you yep. just were able to also be part of an even larger uh, community of black men and women um, who are all growing and developing under the tutelage of, of our professors who are bringing their knowledge and expertise and, and experience in the world. And so to go to Iowa was really, you know, to me jarring. Right. Yeah. I had never been in a space where I might be the only black person. So one of the, the experiences that stood out to me immediately when I moved was like my first time going to Walmart. Yeah, I was the only black person <laughs> that I, I encountered there. And, you know, I feel, you know, for some folks that may have been in there, I might have been the only black person they've actually seen in person. Right. Um, or maybe interacted with or, you, you know, been in a shared a space with. And so kind of being in that space was, to me, a, a huge shock, um, particularly coming from a place where we had such a strong culture and a strong commitment and a strong community. It made it challenging to find that same sense of community and, and to embrace you, you know, in, in a place that's so brand new and that doesn't have a lot of people that look like you. And, and in fact, a lot of people who've never experienced or, or been in communities that have diversity, right? You've right. never been around someone that's part of a different culture than your own. You are coming from some town in the, in Iowa or somewhere else in the Midwest right. where you know, you have only seen Black people on TV. 
Right. Yep. And yep. it makes it really challenging in your interactions that, you know, people ha- make some uncomfortable comments. Yeah. People ask some uncomfortable questions. Um, it makes it challenging and it, it weighs heavily on you when you're trying to make that kind of adjustment. So for me, I, Iowa was a challenging place <laughs> to adjust to. Um, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, it, it's crazy because like a lot of times, you know, people even in the Iowa space, they find it hard to believe that Iowa is hard for um, Blacks, you know, to sort of adjust in this space for the first couple of years, right? Um, And I say that because, you know, again, Iowa is sort of a a place that people transition in and out of, like, constantly, right? It's, uh, uh, especially the the Iowa City space, it's a university space, right? So universities, how there's a lot of students that come in, get their PhDs, and they're they're out, right? Um, And so, you know, coming in, it's hard to sort of build that network that you had mm-hmm. in Grambling State. And, you know, I have conversation with people all the time about, you know, it's hard for someone like me who is a professional in Iowa City to have really good friends, right? Because all of my good friends, they get here, they go to school, five, six years later, they're out, right? Um, you know, so, but, you know, for you as a student coming in, you know, building that network, like you're saying, you know, there are people who have never been outside of Iowa before and find it difficult for somebody to come in, especially a Black, and, you know, sort of, and they're wondering why they can't fit into their space. <laughs> you know, it, it's hard to fit into the space here at Iowa. Um, and a lot of people don't understand why, unless you actually go through that experience of, you know, coming to Iowa. Absolutely. And, and one of the things I'll have to say, I was very fortunate in terms of transition. I think a lot of people transition to Iowa and they're the only person that they know that's Black in Iowa. I had right. the great fortune of coming to Iowa with a, a, my, my best friends, right? Yeah. Who went to Grambling yeah. and we're still all good friends and still d- really closely connected. And, you know, we were friends in Grambling as undergraduate students at Grambling State. And then when we came to Iowa, we came all around the same time to graduate programs and you, we were each other's safety net. We were each other's support system. And so, you know, having that village around you uh, makes the transition so much easier because we had some difficult times. We had some really challenging days, some experiences that, you know, we collectively endured that without that type of network, you would not have been able to do that. And creating spaces where you can really show up as your authentic self, you can really express yourself in a way that isn't particularly coded where you're code switching or you're trying to be somebody uh, else (laughs) to please someone else (laughs) not even necessarily being someone else but you know i think every black person particularly if you're a professional black person we've understand the idea and, and the theories behind double consciousness and we're constantly existing in white spaces right as you know, a representation of, of, of someone who is desiring to be palatable right. to a white audience. And that's, you know, a survival tactic. 
in many instances, it's a way for us to make ourselves try to blend in and survive in in very challenging spaces, um, particularly when we run into issues of of race and inequality and racism and all of the other isms that we (laughs) often be faced with where we're constantly wearing many hats, Mm -hmm. but also trying to excel, to succeed, to survive, to endure. Like we're doing all of these things simultaneously. And so having those support systems are so necessary for us because at some point you have to be able to be vulnerable. You have to be able to express your emotions um, in a way and in a space and with people that you trust and that everyone doesn't have that. And, you know, there were many people that we saw come in as, as black graduate students at Iowa who did not have that network, who did not have that support system who did not get through their programs, yeah. who ended up leaving early for some reason, who faced some really challenging difficulties and they went home. And yeah. it's not because they were defeated in any way or not because they were unsuccessful. I think many of those people that I interacted with at Iowa, particularly people of color and especially black graduate students at Iowa, um, you know, they've done very well in life, but you know, being in a space that is sometimes blind to how uninviting it can be for Black people, yep. um, it can be a difficult place to transition to if you don't have a group of people that you can honestly rely on to navigate the difficulty of a it, space it, and that. the challenge of being, of wanting and desiring to be successful. Right. So... You came to Iowa again. You came with your friends, and you know you you found that network. Um, you finished with a PhD in chemistry, which of course is not an easy thing to do. And then you're like, you know what? Nah, I'm not feeling PhD in chemistry. You know, I'm gonna go to law school, right? Yes. I mean, <laughs> tell me what what went into the decision of you know getting a PhD in chemistry into going to law school. Um, you know, what, what went into that decision and what, why did you decide to combine those two things? Um, again, we can talk a little bit, you know, later about that, but why, why, why law school after PhD in chemistry? Um, I think in general, the decision to go to law school, hmm, I always have two stories for it, right? One's a more colorful story. So you can, so for this, I'll share a more colorful story. My uncle, my mom's sister, um, he would remind me all the times, like, that's my lawyer right there. Because I would, you know, I've always talked quite a bit. Right. And I could, we would, we would always have some kind of fun exchange. And this is the great thing about growing up around family. And so it was his tease, like, ah, that's the lawyer. Because of the way we would communicate and dialogue about anything, whether I was trying to sell him something for our fundraiser at school, or there was some other thing I was trying to convince him to do. And, you know, to my uncle's credit, he would always, you know, embrace and support those those things that I did. Um, 
And so always in the back of my mind, I, I thought, ah, you know, you could always pursue a degree. You could always go, go to law school, right? Your, yeah. your uncle always told you that's something you could be. Um, so when I was finishing up my doctoral research, I was looking for opportunities. I realized that I did not want to go into academia and become a professor in the science side. And I was a bit, you know, tapped out of the bench level side of, of research and innovation. Uh, and as much as I love chemistry and I never, you know, really want to walk away from it, truly walk away from it, I wanted to find something that really elevated and amplified all of the skill sets I felt I had. Yeah. And so I discovered that there was an area of law that allowed me to do both. And so I get to be a chemist and a scientist every day, mm. uh, be at the cusp of innovation, but also utilize those, those problem solving skills. And at the end of the day, that's, you know, really what you drill down uh, being an attorney is, is being a problem solver. Someone comes to attorneys with a problem and you're asking us to help you solve this issue, whether it's in criminal law, whether it's in intellectual property law, or you're doing a business deal and it's emergent acquisitions, or, or it's, you're an estate attorney trying to help someone resolve their, their you know, what happens to them when, when they want to pass their, their property and their belongings on to, to, um, to, to their family. You know, yeah. we're in the business of solving problems. And so that was the thing that I latched onto is that I'm, I'm really good at helping people solve problems, drilling down into an issue and finding a solution. And, right. you know, that's what research is, but it's just another layer of that. And I was able to make that connection and it's been a positive um, decision that I made. Yeah. So it sounds crazy <laughs> for folks and my friends that support system. We're like, who we, we just got you through through graduate school. Graduate school, right? School, right. Um, yeah. That's crazy. They, I, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I I, I make fun of Drumi all the time uh, because I'm like, you know, honestly. Like she went to school for like 33 straight years, right? Because, you know, she did, you know, undergrad, um, you know, I think in finance and, you know, sociology or something like that. And then did, um, um, you know, a bachelor of law and then went to law school in Ghana, you know, you know, did a Ghana, Ghana bar and then came to the United States and then went to law school again. And I'm like, your mind has to be tired, but I mean, (laughs) that's a lot of schooling. I love schooling, but you know, more power (laughs) to you, but like, you know, solving problem, you talk about solving problems. And I mean, when you got to Wisconsin, um, that you solve a lot of people's problem. Um, and you know, again, being the 2020 pro bono attorney of the year is not it's not a joke. I mean, there's a lot of things that a lot of dedication, a lot of sweat, um, a lot of training and, you know, a lot of collective work collaboration that went into that. Um, but, you know, this was really uh, specifically um, focused on, you know, providing and delivering legal services to the poor Um or innovative way to deliver, um, I believe, volunteer legal services, right? Um, and you know, and we talked a little bit about mentorship a second ago, and you know, solving problems. You know, so for you, is being involved in helping those individuals or 
you know, for what you said, solving problems for those individuals who may not have the resources, you know, to find the people to solve problems for them, you know, that is something that is truly you. I mean, that's who you are in and out. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, why you went that route. Again, you know, training and uh, about 40 different lawyers and, you know, volunteer lawyers to get into this space. That, that, that was a lot of work. And you had a full-time job on top of this, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, one thing that I'll have to say about my time in, in the Midwest in general is that, you know, I've been fortunate to come across a lot of people who are driven and motivate me to really get engaged uh, in a number of different endeavors and, and in, in terms of being of service to the community. And so one thing that I bring everywhere that I go is, you know, my dedication to community and embracing the, the community. And that's just what my upbringing was. My yeah. grandparents were educators and they were they, I couldn't walk around the city without someone reminding me that my grandparent gave them, you know, help teach them. She, right. my grandmother was their teacher. My grandfather was their principal. Um, so for me, it's, it's almost like a, a, a self-fulfilling thing that you're continuing that legacy of service and, and commitment to the community. So, you know, one, I, I got a chance to move to the city of Madison, Wisconsin and connect with a number of attorneys who were already engaged. They were already doing positive work in the community and identified some things that they would like to do and hoping for an opportunity to engage. Um, one of the issues that we find in pretty much every community, particularly um, communities where we're seeing a lot of challenges on the economic front, and, you know, for those economically starved communities and communities where we have a, a, a high level of joblessness um, or a lot of housing insecurity, you know, we can tie some system to that. And the system that we were able to identify as a barrier to, you know, fair housing and, and, and job security was having a criminal record. And one thing that the criminal record has for so many people around our country is that it acts as a scarlet letter that has this compounding effect. Um, because you cannot work or you cannot find secure and safe housing for your family, yeah. it doesn't only impact you, it impacts everything around you. Right. You don't have a job, the businesses around you can't survive because you can't be their patron. If you are the head of your family, your children are now impacted by your inability to provide and, and provide a secure and safe place for them to live, create help, you know, create opportunity. And so, you know, as attorneys, our goal is to really help leverage our knowledge and our expertise and our resources to those who can help surmount some of these difficult challenges. And so you know, we look at expungement as a reentry tool, and it's just one piece of a much, much larger thing in the vein of criminal justice reform and, and education that we wanted to make sure that if there's a process out there to help give everybody in the community an equitable life experience, 
that we have to help remove some of these barriers. And so we connected with some of attorneys in other places who had expertise in giving in helping people uh, seek an expungement of their criminal record, but also engaging in some of the other things that are related to that as well that might serve as, as barriers to employment and just provide the service. We are training the train, you know, training those service providers, training attorneys who want to be want to provide this service to to the community as well. So if we're able to bring those attorneys together at the table, train them appropriately, we can also partner with community organizations and agencies who can touch and, and make the community aware of this service that's available. And we were able to find that connection through the Urban League of Greater, uh, Greater Madison. Um, I have to say the CEO uh, of, of the Urban League of Greater, Greater Madison is a, one of my fraternity brothers. Oh, and okay. one of the yeah. first people I met when I got to, to Madison, Wisconsin, and immediately embraced the idea of, you know, let's make these things happen. And right. it's, it's amazing to see when the community rallies around things and around, you know, providing for the members of our community how many things move and come together. And so it was really powerful for me to be able to tap into the many resources that were available from whether it's people power, whether it's financial, you know, resources that were available um, and really give some, you know, provide something that that's gonna aid the community. It's only grown from our first clinic in 2018 we just continued to grow. We saw that there was a great demand and great need. And, you know, fast forward three years now, we are seeing things like legislation, let, you know, proposed legislation to help make expungement more accessible to people across the state yeah. and making sure that we are, the process itself from, from the system standpoint, right is no longer as much of a barrier as it's been. So we're hoping that we can continue the conversation and continue to make expungement uh, uh, accessible, but an even better tool for reentry for so many people where having a criminal record is no longer, has a stigma that it carries with it for so many people. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's absolutely powerful. Again, kudos to you and everybody involved. Um, you know, it, it's, it's real, right? I mean, just, you know, being the resource for those individuals who need it, um, you know, and helping the community, like you said, you know, when, when something is wrong or something, there's an issue with you as an individual, this, it doesn't affect just you. It affects your whole community and your whole support system, um, children, you know, family, um, you know, and again, just the community at large. Um, so again, it's absolutely powerful, the work that you're doing, you know, kudos, kudos to you. But, you know, you, you've also had you know, your fair share of unfair treatment growing up as a black man. Um, let's talk a little, little bit about that. But before we do that, quick question, yes or no. Have you ever thought about um, um, running for public office? Like, I don't know, a senator, a president? <laughs> I would say I, I have never given it any serious thought. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I think there are so many people who do so well in those public service spaces. Yeah. Um, but I also feel that there are so many things that as just being a community member, 
you can do so much, so right? Much, yeah. Being yeah. behind the scenes and really working and leveraging that people power that we have, really engaging people in a positive way that sometimes you don't necessarily have the constraints, right? right yeah. You don't have to worry so much about public image and being part of some you know, political topics that might be divisive that you can really work and just get down and do the work that's necessary to get things done and to make change and to pivot when needed. Um, all of those things are gonna be important. And I know so many people who do that um, and so many people who are in public office who are doing really powerful things. Right. Um, but it's not something that I've, I've actually considered as a space right. for, well. that would be be <laughs> for me. Maybe way maybe when I retire or something, I might might consider making that type of a uh, of a of, uh, focus. Yeah, yeah. But so serving the community in 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 the more official manner, but right. Um, well, let me tell you this. If you ever if you ever get to that point that you're like, you know what, I, I think I'm, I want to serve um, in, in, in that capacity. Let me know. I will be your campaign manager. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'll hold you I, I am offering my services right now. Just let me know. I am, <laughs> am going to go with you all the way. Um, and if it's the presidency that we're going for, just let me know. I'll be one of your senior <laughs> advisors after that. And, you know, let's make it happen. Um, but yeah, so back to, you know, you're talking about, you know, the community and helping the community. Um, and and I, like I said, you know, you've gone through um, your share um, of unfair treatment, right? You know, again, as a black man in, in the United States, it's given, right? Do you remember sort of uh, the earlier... Um, stages of, you know, the unfair treatment that you went through and do you mind sharing some of those when you were growing up or even, you know, now, um, you know, some of the things that you go through that you're like, you know what, it's not worth the fight. It's just what it is. <laughs> you know, I think if you, if I'm thinking of like the earliest time where I was like aware that, okay, I really am different, right? Like, I I don't know. I'm definitely, being Black means something much different. And I know it's because of the color of my skin is right. my myself and my siblings, we went to a private uh, school growing up really, you know, very early. So I went to a private, uh, private you know, religious um, preschool. Right. And I think one of the earliest things, and you know, most of the people I went to school with, we also went to church with, so we knew everyone there. <laughs> yep. um, and I, I remember um, being called the N-word by some other student. I, and I don't remember it as vividly, you know, who the person was, but some student there, who's was a white student, um, as we were, yeah, maybe one of very few of a small number of black kids that attended the school at that time and me not really being aware of what that actually meant right, right. and so another student like this is like just became very upset right and then explained to me and i you know i forget how old i was at the time i was still very young um like what that, that meant like you know you're not supposed to say that because he said that to you to you because you're black and you you know, you're not supposed to say that word. Right. And so it just didn't resonate with me until later. And of course, you talk to your parents and they explain things to you. And my parents grew up in the South and they they, of course, you know, are 
giving those explanations. And so you're sort of aware of it in the abstract, but when you're that young, you know, I, I, there are not that many people who are just, you know, immediately having those kind of conversations about that awareness. But then I think that's my first kind of awareness of, okay, I'm black. Yeah. There's a difference between being black and people will say things to you right. that are meant to be demeaning and denigrating. And the reason they do that is because of this thing called racism and discrimination and all the things that, you know, now as an adult, you know, we can readily identify right. and, um, in ways that are not nearly as overt as that. Yep. Um, but, you know, yeah, that's my kind of first memory. And I, I, I can say I've, <laughs> you know, definitely experienced, you know, racism in so many different ways and right. in so many different, different um, aspects. And, and, and it looks different and I, it definitely feels the same every time. Yep. <laughs> but it definitely looks different and it, it approaches you differently depending on the situation and the setting that you're in. And so in, in every stage of my life, I've had some experiences that I can point to to say, you know, this was a, a clear and direct, you know, experience that was due specifically because I'm a black, black person, then right. because I'm a black man. And if I were not black, but for being a black person, I would have not experienced, had this experience here. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt, man. That's, that's great. So, um, you know, it, you're absolutely right, though, like because, you know, facing or, you know, having dealing with racism or going through the emotions of just accepting, um, you know, racism as part of the culture. You know, like you said, you know, it comes in different forms. Right. And, you know, but the results is always the same. Like, you know, the way you feel about it is always the same, regardless of how it's presented to you, um, you know, and that's something that I have learned to sort of appreciate, right? Because I can keep myself in check and just, you know, um, acknowledge the fact that, hey, you know, it is what it is. And I am going to make sure that, you know what, I have a choice to just, you know, move forward and I dwell on it, right? Because you can't, you know, you can't change certain people um, and you can't change certain, you know, environment or you can't change certain systems, right? And just accept it and keep fighting the fight that I can to make it better for those who come after me, right? Um, you know, and that's something that you've been doing for the longest time. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm, you know, now transitioning to the topic of mentorship, um, you know, mentoring, you know, kids and uh, mentoring the youth and even, even now uh, mentoring even, you know, people um, in the loss in the law space that have been there for many years longer than you, uh, but you come with a different perspective. So um, I know mentorship means a lot to you, um, and your view on mentorship is really all about the community, right? The community and affecting the community. Talk to me a little bit about you know what mentorship means to you um, and your views on mentorship and why you're so passionate about. Um, the mentorship, um, uh, uh, as far as the community-oriented mentorship, the way you are. Yeah. So, so my mentorship to me is is an incredibly critical tool for everyone. Right. We experience mentorship in different spaces, whether it's related to you know your academic goals. You might have someone who's mentoring you through that. 
whether it is your life goals, you have someone mentoring you through that, um, whether, you know, you're deep in your professional career and you have someone mentoring you in those spaces. And so mentorship to me, it just has a really powerful role for each and every one of uh, us. And it's an important to have people who are focused on mentoring as an, you know, to, to create an environment for growth and development and really uh, a foundation for those um, who are coming coming up in our community. So to me, you know, everyone has that role in your community. And whether it's your workplace community, whether it's your, you know, your the community that you live in. Um, if we're for for me, it's really a, a focus on the black community and the places that I live. That mentorship is something that is critical. There are those of us who that is our role, that's our calling, that's the thing that we are. Are, you know, are dedicated to doing because it's necessary. It is our, our way of embracing um, people in our community so that we have success, that we have, you know, we thrive, we innovate, we grow and we better the world, not just for ourselves, right? Because we're, we, you know, we are bettering our community for ourselves when we engage in mentorship, but we're also bettering the community for those who come after us as well. Um, you know, I, I hope that everyone that I mentor is also engaging in mentoring and sees the value of doing mentorship. And for those of us who are, you know, growing and have gotten into our careers, have seen, you know, I guess some modicum of what people measure as success, um, that we, you know, transition not to just be mentors, but to also sponsor, right? Well, we are creating opportunities. We are creating platforms for other people to thrive yeah. and to move forward in. And so it's, you know, an ever evolving and ever, you know, role that you have as, as someone who is engaging in mentorship and who has committed to doing it in a very real way. And I know we do a hyper focus on your mentoring black folks and you're making sure you're focused on the black community, but right. you know, I've, I've had mentors and, you know, I have mentors who look very different. The yep. person who recruited me to Grambling State University from the time I was a like eighth grader in middle school was one of the one he was a for you know a retired Air Force officer. Mm. He was from a town not far from me, and he was white. He was a white guy. He was like, "You're going to Grambling State University. <laughs> you got to get there. We need to have you there." His job was actually not even to recruit black. Right. Kids, but his job was to recruit, <laughs> um, to try to help diversify the campus. He was part of a grant and came in as a recruiter to help bring diversity to the student body, uh, which was a predominantly black, you know, student right. body. Yeah. But he was very much so integral in making sure that Gremlin State was on my radar. So, you know, th those are some of those early mentors. And we talk about community. We really are talking about everyone who's part of that community. His wife was the principal in my middle school at the time. And so it's those connections that you have with people, people who have a commitment to your personal success. And we see that in every space. And so, you know, when I talk about mentorship, I'm talking about being a mentor in every space that we're in and being intentional about, you know, who we're serving in each of those spaces as well.
Right. No doubt. No doubt. No, absolutely. Um, the other thing about mentorship that um, I find fascinating is a, a lot of times people want to talk about mentors. You know, they think, you know, mentorship is sort of uh, somebody older mentoring a younger individual. Right. Um, which, which is absolutely not true. Like for me personally, you know, I have mentors who are eighth graders, ninth graders. Right. You know, I have people in high school that are my mentors. And, you know, for me, if I am going to continue learning in different spaces, you're going to have to find mentors who are in those spaces. We can teach you about, you know, you know, such spaces. And also, you know, um, I, ha I had some mentors, you know, especially when I, when I was doing youth group stuff, I had some mentors in high school and junior high. And, you know, their sole purpose was, you know, teaching me how to communicate to the younger generation, right? Because, you know, it's a different love language, you know, in, in different stages. And, you know, I found that to be very, um, you know, rich. Um, but again, people don't see mentorship as, you know, it, 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 it can be bilateral mentorship, it can be up and down, and there's just different phases of mentorship that a lot of people are not aware of. Um, you know, like you said, you know, community mentorship is something that, you know, is extremely powerful because it doesn't only affect one or two individuals, it affects a whole society, right? Um, and, you know, I, I, I really hope, you know, anybody and everybody listening you know, we'll get into the space of mentorship and not even just looking at, you know, I need somebody older or younger to mentor, right? You know, find peer mentorship is, you know, something that's also powerful as well and find mentors in different spaces, you know, to sort of get a holistic view of, you know, who you are as an individual. Um, but again, you know, like you said, that's definitely, definitely powerful. Thank you so much, Alex. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Again, you are on the edge with Eddie detangling our Black identities. I am talking to Alex Lodge, a great mentor, uh, a servant, um, a man of faith, a, a just an extremely intelligent man. Hey, listen, so what I want to do now is I want you to talk to the world. I'm going to give you a minute to send a message out to the world. You have one minute. Send a message out to the world. If you want to, you know, drop a few bars and, you know, sing something after that, please feel free. I've been bragging about your singing skills for a while now. Uh, if you want to uh, prove me right, feel free to. But, oh. hey, give the word a message. What do you want to tell the world in one minute? Well, I wasn't prepared to sing today, so I'm not. Okay, okay. All right. But the, the, the uh, thing I would tell the world is just, you know, continue to grow and rely on yourself, challenge who you are, um, and, and set high goals and make sure that you are thinking about your commitment and contribution to the community uh, every day. Um, and that's that's my my tidbit. So hopefully I, I didn't go too far over my minute. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Hey, listen, it was a pleasure talking to you, Alex. Thank you for joining us on The Edge with Eddie. Um, Thanks for keep having it real, me. like you always do. Uh, kudos to all the all the good work you're doing. Hey, listen, I appreciate you. you. Love you, brother. It was a pleasure. Okay. It's a wrap. Talk to you Thank later. You. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we'll have right. you back. We'll have you back. Please do. I'm happy. Right. To, happy to join anytime. Yeah. No, for real. I'm gonna have you 
um, Quasi and drill me back together talking about law school. I can't wait for that episode. I'm it's looking going, forward to it. It's going to be amazing. Thanks again, Alex. You're awesome. And uh, it was a pleasure again. And we'll talk later. Yeah. yeah. It's a wrap. All right. All right. All right. Have a good yep. one. Yeah. Bye.